And when they're taxed because of competition through, uh, through obviously play, um, neuromuscularly, uh, I mean, everything is shot, you know? So the last thing I'm going to do is have them control more things, like take more resources away from them. Why not just give them a machine, tell them where to go. At the end of the day, I'm just getting load. Rather, I'm doing it through heavy isometrics or heavy eccentrics. So instead of them learning how to train, like give them the skill of lifting, which now I'm worrying about basically neuromuscularly taxing them even more. Now I'm just getting them load. And then, hey, go play basketball. You'll be all right. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. I am absolutely pumped to get this episode out there. This is 10 minutes after the episode has finished with Corey Schlesinger, and I had to get the intros done and hopefully vocalise the enthusiasm that I've got after speaking to him. So Corey works at the Phoenix Suns, he's director of performance slash head of strength and conditioning, but has worked for many years in collegiate basketball, most recently before the Suns at, uh, at Stanford University. And we dive into some really interesting topics in this episode, not just what he does at the Suns, but we have a little chat around his philosophy. And one really, really Interesting point that we touch on with Corey is his use of machines. And I know there'll be an industry-wide gasp after I say that, but it's a really interesting chat a little bit about how Corey integrates fixed resistance machines into his program at the Suns, why he does that, why he's done that in the past, and why it may be good for other people to potentially consider fixed resistance machines as well. So there's a little bit of controversy in there, as well in this episode, but I'm really excited for you to hear it and I'd love to know what you think. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics Force Plates are wireless, portable, and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating Force Plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics Force Plate system in action, head over to their website, hawkingdynamics.com, to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. And this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by I Measure You. iMeasureU is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing, and sprinting, longer-life battery to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions, and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicom, works with military, pro, and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, the US Department of Defense, and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website, imeasureu.com, or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. So without further ado, over to the episode with Corey Schlesinger. Corey Schlesinger, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Before I introduce you properly, I'm going to say a big thanks to Robin Thorpe, because that's what he'll want. Thanks for the introduction. But uh, Corey, thank you for giving me time, mate. No worries. It's an honor to be on this show. I've listened to it for years and the caliber of speakers you've had on or guests before me, it's just, I don't know why you'd pick me, but I'm happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) A rave review from Robin. That's what it is, mate. And Robin's high class, high class dude. He'll love that. He'll absolutely love that. We both know he'll love that. (laughs) For anyone (laughs) that... 
anyone that doesn't know who you are, Corey, would you mind just giving us a bit of a, a brief background on you? Because you've had an interesting journey to get to get where you've uh, where you've got today. Yeah, I'll be 100% honest. Most of the time when I hear this part of the podcast, I start hitting the 15-second, 30-second button on people. So yes. my goal <laughs> is to make this as quick and concise as possible. Nice, mate. Uh, but as far as the intro, it's real simple. I played college basketball, like literally the lowest level of college basketball. So I've always loved it. Um, just obviously wasn't good enough. So I had to find another route to get there um, and to increase my quote-unquote performance. And so that's where physical training came in. And then I stayed in basketball my entire career. So since I was 17, 18 years old, I've been in college basketball all the way up until about two or three years ago. And now I'm in, in uh, professional sports in the NBA. So, yeah, four years as a, as a player, 15 as a coach, wow, in college. And then now I'm going into my third in season in the NBA. What were your limitations as a player? Ooh, size, skill, strength, uh, <laughs> all of the above. Oh, maturity is probably the biggest one. Uh, such okay. an immature joke. Uh, but yeah, like that, I think that's really why I coach now is because I'm trying to give back or try to save the people that were like mm. me. Okay. And it's like, oh my God, I would do anything to have another crack at being a college athlete and just understanding like, this is the point of team. This is the point of culture. This is the point of, I would do anything to go back to that and be a good soldier. Yeah. So more driven on the character personality side, just as much as the physical, because oh, of what you went through. Yeah. Okay. Hundred percent. I mean, it's really I every every time I train somebody, I think like I, I'm. It's really I'm training myself. Mm-hmm. It's really I'm going back and I'm like, God, I wish I had these resources. Like these are the things I wish I had. So selfishly, it's like I'm not training anybody else. I'm just tra- training my like who I used to be, like my younger self. And man, would I love that kind of attention and specificity into what I was doing and yeah. guidance, you know, yeah. becoming a young man, you know. So when you were shocked at the the fact that you said 15 years, 15 years ago was your was the path that you had in your mind to get to the NBA? Oh, I had no ambition of the NBA. Okay. The NBA was not a goal at all. Uh, college is what I loved because there's a part of college where it's more than just strength training. You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's your typical, you know, here's a coach to athlete relationship and they're younger. So you can put in the, put them in those fragile years of 17 to 22 years old of developing into the man they're going to be for the rest of their life. And that's what I didn't have at that time. So for me, I took that part very, very serious as far as the maturity and the and then stealing certain characteristics into a program that will hopefully guide them for the rest of their lives. That was what college was for me. That's what I loved the most about college. The street training, well, that part was easy because you know everyone's pretty compliant because you have to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so why take the why take the leap then? If that was if that was all, yeah, that was your baby. It, the college setting was your baby. I got comfortable. Okay. I, I got super comfortable and it hit me at the most perfect time of my of my life where I was like, you know what? Like I can take a chance now. And it wasn't that I wanted to leave college necessarily. It's just I was I was recruited by some really high level people and I I got very comfortable that it wouldn't be the stereotypes of what I thought the NBA would be and that I would be able to do the things that I thought was proper. And so, yeah, I was I was very very fortunate to be into a situation where I got specifically recruited by this organization and by the leadership roles that were in it to uh, to to be able to to do some things here. Without throwing yourself or anyone else under the bus when it comes to NBA stereotypes, what was what was the stereotype that you had in your mind that the NBA was like? <laughs> oh man, I was <laughs> man, I was such a meathead too. Like that's the best part. Like I still love my meathead roots, but I was such a meathead so. In college, I was like, they don't train, you know, they don't <laughs> lift. You know, back then I was like, they don't snatch, clean, and jerk. They don't deadlift. So, like, wh- who are these guys? Like, they just sit there and they do all this functional, like bouncing on a Bosu ball stuff. They're doing the, you know, the fitness guru stuff. I was like, man, the NBA, they don't train, mm-hmm. and that was like my thought process going in. And boy, was I wrong. You know, I mean, there's there's some things that definitely check the box. I was like, okay, I knew I was right about that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's the environment and whatever you make it. And so, you know, if if there are certain things that you're not happy with, 
well, it's on you to make those changes. Like you can't just go with the flow forever on everything and just everything else becomes stagnant from there. So in my head, I'm like, these guys don't get load. All they do is like, move, you know, they do like just a bunch of movement stuff. They never really uh, do anything for quote unquote adaptations. So in my head, that was informing, you know, because then I was about how jacked can I get? <laughs> how fast <laughs> can I run? Like these, are, I was carried about outputs and aesthetics than I was about actual performance. So that perception that you had pre-MBA, and you've mentioned there that some of them things, most of them things weren't, didn't actually come true when you got into the MBA. Was there anything that you hung your hat on in the collegiate setting that you were adamant that you were going to take into the MBA that maybe worked and maybe some things that, that didn't? Yeah, I thought autonomy was going to be something that was like, yeah, these guys are going to want to make their own choices. They're going to want to, you know, have options because that was something I was getting more and more into my later college years was the power of of owning your own stuff. And so I was like, yeah, they're going to love that, love that at the next level. And quite frankly, it was the exact opposite. Like, no, well, tell me that? what to do. Like, what? Do you, why am I here? It's like, yeah. Oh, Okay, you know what? You're right. <laughs> so, but at the end of the day, the the personalities and obviously the environment, every everyone is so different. And some people want it all. Some people want to actually truly understand. And then there's others that's just like, hey, just take me through it. Like I just got to check this box. My goal is to make that box worth checking. Mm-hmm. Answer me this, Corey. And this is slightly off topic, but it kind of it fits in a little bit. You're on here discussing the things that we're going to discuss about your program and, and whatnot and what's going on with the, the organization. Obviously not going into depth with individual players and that's completely understandable and that's that would never happen no matter where you were from. For sure. But given the open openness of our industry and the communication that's going on through podcasts, through webinars, through articles, what is it about your organization that allows you to sit here in front of me now and have this discussion when other organizations may not look favorably on on, a, on a, someone in a position like yourself doing that, given the fact that we kind of all know that, that everyone's doing very similar stuff. Right. Why, why is that? And that's the same in NBA, that's the same in Premier League, that's the same everywhere, I get that. But right. what is it about the Suns that allows you to feel comfortable and, and have the freedom to be able to come on and, and, and talk about it so openly? Well, it's the leadership, you know, mm-hmm. we, I mean, we have leadership in, in roles that it gets one thing to have a title. It's another thing to, to actually use your title. Right. And so luckily here it's, it's empowerment and it doesn't matter what role you possess here. The goal is for you to grow in some form or fashion. And the only way to do that is to get on the fringe and be vulnerable. And I think that's one thing that we that we're okay with being. We're okay with being vulnerable. It's okay to to talk about these things. It's okay to, you know, put out information. Don't get me wrong, it ain't like we got this secret protocol that keeps tendon health, you know, stronger than anyone else. You know, it's more of like, yeah, guys, we understand the science, we understand the adaptations, we understand certain things that are just is innately there, but it's our leadership that allows us to be able to grow independently within our roles. And to the collective, that makes everyone better. Mm-hmm. And so for us, I think that gives us more of a platform to be stronger independently so that we can be stronger collectively. Good answer. Good answer. So from a, from a stupid Englishman, when it comes to the NBA and collegiate basketball as well, what are the biggest differences from a person in your position, from a strength coach, from a day-to-day perspective, from a, I suppose from, from a philosophical perspective, what are the biggest differences that you could communicate with us and tell a dumb Englishman about? Yeah, uh, college and NBA. Well, first and foremost, it's the competition itself, right? There's mm-hmm. triple the amount of games in an NBA season okay. than there are in a collegiate season. So that alone is going to dictate how we're training anyways. So for me, it's very important to just look at the most common things, which is, okay, here are the amount of games in a season. Here are the amount of practices in the season. The biggest difference between college and the pros, the pros, it's triple <laughs> in competition, but it's significantly less in practice. And college is the exact opposite. You spend way more time practicing for competition or preparing for competition than you actually compete. So 
that alone is going to have you two totally different philosophies on how you can physically train for either sector. And so that's the the hugest differences alone. That and the relationships are different. Quite simply, in the college setting, it's I am the coach, you are the athlete. Now, don't get me wrong. As far as priority, it's probably the exact opposite. But <laughs> the reality is I am an instructor or I am like a teacher and I'm here to instruct you and to help you get better. Uh, in, in the NBA, it's the exact opposite for real. Like these are my coworkers. We're the same age. Interesting. You know, yeah, I got, yeah, of course. So, yeah, yeah. so it's a totally different conversation. Like I'm, I'm talking to these guys and they have two kids and they have families and you know, they, these are, these are grown men. So at that point, I don't look at it as a coach to athlete relationship. I look at it like, yo, that's my coworker. <laughs> and if not, if anything else, it's like, I'm his assistant. Like I assist, I'm a, his personal assistant when it comes to everything, health and performance, you know? That's what our support system, our support staff is. We're assistants to them individually, in my opinion. I don't look at it as, here I am the coach. I'm talking down to the athlete. I'm going to get this whole thing right. It's how can I get it right for you? Because you're on a different journey than anyone else. And it's contracts. You know, Some guys are locked in on maxes. Certain guys, they're just trying to make it through the year. You know, they, everyone has different motivations to rather keep their job or to, you know, some guys are like leaving mid-season. Some guys are coming in mid-season. It's wild. Uh, and that's the professionalism. Yeah, that's the part that is is significantly different. It's Yes, it's professional sports, but the professionalism within the sport, when you acquire new or, or you know, guys leave, it's just pick and plug and play. And it's the same as if I was probably at a if I worked at a uh, nine to five and I walk in and I'm like, hi, I'm Corey. I'm in HR. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very similar. You know, and that's the part that's super weird for me coming from college because it's like, everybody's on campus. We're all kind of, you know, it's like this whole little, little culture. Then you come into here and it's like, nah, these are my coworkers. Like this is, and it's just different conversations and it's different relatability. It, it's fun. How do you manage that? The fact that these guys and I've and this is coming from personal experience. When I was nowhere near the level of of where you are in the NBA, but very much on this on the same level when I was in an academy football, the, I was I'd been there a few years earlier. The lads knew that I'd been there a few years earlier, so they could kind of relate. I was kind of one of them, but right. a few years a few years a few years um, older. I found that quite difficult. That was my first role. I found that quite difficult to manage that because they would come to me being the younger member of staff versus a coach who was probably mid forties, mid fifties. They'd come to me with certain things that they'd feel more comfortable telling me than, than the coach. I found that quite, and I found discipline quite difficult as well because of that, um, that the, how close we were in age, but Mm -hmm. I suppose a different level up that obviously you're older there, a little bit older, do you find do you have you ever struggled with that in the you know dealing with adults versus college athletes? No, I mean it, it's the the weight room is a controlled space, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the part where you know it's you can go there and you know what to expect every day. When you go onto the court and you're playing in front of thousands and thousands of fans, and it, there it's the unexpected, right? There's mm-hmm. there's just different dynamics, so there's something safe about the weight room there's something safe that's like okay this is the place i'm coming in and like no one's judging me like i finally don't have eyes on me so the privacy and the respect is probably the thing that i try to 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 hone in on the most as far as that space because yeah it it is a place where it's kind of hard because they're getting judged in everything that they do, whether it's in their social life or whether it's in their professional life on the court in front of all these eyes. The last thing I want to do is put them in vulnerable positions in the weight room as far as like, oh my God, you're not doing that right. Like I'm like I'm judging you on this. Like I don't want I don't want them to ever feel that. If anything, I want to put them through things that's that's obviously a lot more fun to them. Don't get me wrong, but like we gotta get the actual training in. But in their eyes, it's gotta be looking at as I can't be judged in this space. Like the worst case scenario that I do is I fail and I am okay failing in this space. And that's, that's kind of the difference as far as the tone and the feeling. Um, it's not like college where it's just like, 
rap this, rap that, look mm-hmm. like this, A skip, B skip, you know, on on cadence, on pace. And it's got to look a certain way or else it reflects badly upon me. Like, that's mm-hmm. the one thing that I feel that in this space, like my goal is to make it to where they don't feel like they're being judged in that way. And that's the same with me. Like I don't feel the need that I got to be this, this stereotypical meathead or this strength coach to put on this like super hyper masculine facade to go, Hey, this, this is the place where we get better and it's tough. And it's, you know, sometimes it's not even about that at all. Mm -hmm. Do you think we do that too much as training conditions? Yeah. Okay. Why why is, why is that? Do you think that's what, that's what's attractive. That's what we get paid for. Right. Like, I mean, obviously you look at college football, you know, that's a, that's a probably a good place to look Mm -hmm. at for the extremes. Right. Um, and of course they have their own culture and that's totally cool. Like you do what you do, like, and that gets your people right. And that's great for your organization Then be that. And I think that's the, the ultimate message from this is like, be what you need to be for the players in your organization. If some, like it's a feel, like if I come into the weight room and it's down, all right, let's crank some music up. Let's have some fun. Like, and then maybe I'm joking around and getting to some people's butts and you're like, come on, Hey, this is how we do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it just gets them going. Most of the time, it's like, hey, man, how you feel today? Like, what you thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's a co- – like, and I'm talking to them like I'm in an office space. I'm talking to them like it, like it's my coworker, not and, – and, and maybe there needs to be more of that. I don't know. You know, if I go back to college, it's different because you're leading young men to be better men. So there is that discipline and there is that action. But, you know, for me, it's – I get why because it gets a clickbait. It gets people excited. Mm. It looks, you know, whatever it looks, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, it's it's still clickbait, and it creates a platform. So maybe that's what they got to do to be successful. I think for me, it's just just whoever you are, whether you're stoic or you're eccentric, <laughs> be a hundred percent you, and you'll be just fine. Yeah. So just tapping into that that um, kind of NBA stereotype when you were in the collegiate setting. What did you think from an SNC point of view was actually really needed in the NBA? And having been there, what is from a strength and condition from a strength coach point of view, from a strength and conditioning point of view, what is actually needed to yeah. to to give your players the best opportunity to succeed? So it's the same answer, it's just different. So for okay. for my thought it was I need they need load. They need load. <laughs> Man, they need load. <laughs> and in my head, load meant heavy deadlifts, heavy squats, cleans, you know, you know, the big bang things. Like that's what they need. The same answer now being in the NBA, it's still load. Like they are underloaded in a sense, but it's what they don't get. So how can I get load for tissue adaptations? Well, I can get it through isometrics. I can get it through machines. You know, like, oh man, don't use machines. Oh my oh, man, <laughs> don't use machines. Oh, I'm a huge advocate for machines, uh, especially being at this level. It just makes sense because all, it doesn't matter how I get them to load. It's the vessel that's how you get it there. Like it does for me. I don't care if it comes from uh, a 400 pound back squat or if it comes from a hack squat. To me, it doesn't matter how I get them to load. I just got to get them to load. And especially because the amount of competition and the amount of, I mean, the sport itself, once again, reverse engineering it, it is only plyometrics. That's it. It is plyometrics done in all planes on hardwood surfaces. I don't think we need to do more plyometrics. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I need to give them what they don't have, which is zero velocity. So if I'm working at zero velocity, that I probably need to load that, aka an isometric. And now I'm getting them what they don't have. So in other words, let's just look at it like this. Playing basketball is the gas. Training is the brakes. Mm-hmm. My goal is to give them the brakes. Give them the suspension system. Give them, because they're here for a reason. They're here because they are athletic. And that's, I think, the biggest difference between college and professionals is I used to chase outputs. Because outputs validated progression. And now that I have, you know, 20, 30 more pounds on their back squat in three weeks, I am the strength coach. I made them stronger. Yeah, that works in college because you can do anything in college. You can be a HIIT program, an Olympic-based program. You can be a powerlifting program. It doesn't matter because anything you do to them is going to get them stronger. Thus, you look like no matter what you do, (laughs) it works. They got stronger. When they're older athletes and the competition is as high as it is, that's why there is no philosophy. 
it just depends on their background. If I got a 33 year old who has a background in Olympic lifting and that's what he likes, oh, I'm going to make it work for them. But you know, it's very rare. <laughs> it's not, that case doesn't happen very, very often, but it's my philosophy is their philosophy just done in a way that's strategic with the amount of stress they're being placed upon in competition in the sport. You've opened Pandora's box now with the machines. <laughs> Let's dive yeah. into that. It's not something that's come up on the podcast before, probably because everyone's using machines and too scared to communicate with the world that they are. Um, wow. For, for, no one's for, talked about machines? I don't think so. I don't think so. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Well, in that case, <laughs> I'm pumped. Let me – I will tell you this. I, in most case scenarios, prefer them in a lot of ways, especially with high-minute players. I am – hugely for machines i've actually okay. created a few different types just for my specific population but yeah okay. i'm huge tell us more machines. tell us more so what i've done is i've actually taken a smith machine and got the bar kind of cut out of it because a typical smith, uh, smith machine is the one that's obviously on the track and then mm -hmm. it's a straight bar all the way through so what i've done is i've uh, got a company to manufacture one where they actually take the bar out and I can take in different types of bars in it. So for example, okay. like I can insert a safety squat bar attachment. I can take that out. I can insert like a neutral grip bench and take that out. And then obviously I can have a, a bar that goes straight through. And so what this allows me for is different options of loading, even though it's a Smith machine. And then I have these slant boards that I slide underneath it. And so I can make it basically a hack squat or I can make it uh, I mean, uh, all sorts of different uh, active foot. Uh, that's obviously huge. Um, different variations. But I love machines because at the end of the day, I don't care what vessel load comes in. I just care that I get these guys load. And when they're taxed because of competition through, uh, through obviously play, um, neuromuscularly, uh, I mean, everything is shot. You know, so the last thing I'm going to do is have them control more things, like take more resources away from them. Why not just give them a machine, tell them where to go? At the end of the day, I'm just getting load. Rather, I'm doing it through heavy isometrics or heavy eccentrics. So instead of them learning how to train, like give them the skill of lifting, which now I'm worrying about basically neuromuscularly taxing them even more. Now I'm just getting them load. And then, hey, go play basketball. You'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you introduce machines, are the, are the guys are the guys reasonably surprised? I'm guessing that's well based Not on really. our based on our previous conversation that every, potentially people aren't using machines. Is yeah, it like think, a surprise to these guys? I think mainly when people get introduced to machines at this level, it's through uh, uh, isolated machine work. So it's like leg yeah. extension, yeah, leg yeah, curl. Yeah. Yeah. Me, I'm like, nah, give me the big hack squat. <laughs> like, give me the Smith machines. Uh, let's train it globally, you know? Yep. So I'm, I'm more into that. Now, don't get me wrong. There's like a CD calf raise. Absolutely love it. Um, some of those machines, for sure. But most of the machine stuff that I like using, and then that's kind of on the same scale as like a landmine attachment. Like, I love a landmine because it kind of tells them where to go. It has a little bit more degrees of freedom. But I can use the angles of that to create stability. And I don't need them trying to like figure that out themselves when they're already neuromuscularly taxed from competition. Mm -hmm. What I need is just get them load. How can I get that to them? So for me, that's the, that's the hardware. So I guess the difference between college and MBA is college, I'm getting them hardware, but I'm getting it through them through skill of training. And pros, I'm getting them hardware, but I'm getting it through just machines. Mm -hmm. And then I take care of the software in two totally different ways. In college, the software is learning how to do basic stuff like sprinting, like loading, jumping. And in pros, that's where it gets fun for me. That's, that's the part that I enjoy the most is now training their software because I'm not tapping their hardware as much as I would in the college setting. So a lot of my eggs in the basket for professional athletes, I'm training their software. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Let's touch on that and bring in the yeah. sports science side. Yeah. Robin might feature again in this as well. Where, <laughs> from, from your perspective, I know like we say sports science and strength and conditioning if it's two separate things, but mm -hmm. I think you know where I'm you know where I'm coming, you know where I'm coming for from. For sure. 
where do you think that fits and what impact, like be honest now, what impact do you think it's had, especially over the last five, six, seven years in collegiate setting and, and the pros, right? into to, what to, you guys do as a strength coach? Yeah, to link it to a little bit to the last question, mm. the only thing I think the sports science aspect should do is show the efficiency or inefficiency of what we are doing. I mean, don't get me wrong. Chasing outputs is cool. I love chasing outputs because it makes me feel like, oh, I got them the jump higher or the run faster, you know, for this whatever output. But the question is, what cost did I have to take away from them or what resources did I have to rip away to get them that new output? Right. And is that new output actually going to be beneficial for them in the long term? That's the part where it's like timing and all these other things that go into it. But as far as the sports science aspect, I think it's should be the most important, but at the same time, the least important, depending on what you're looking at. And so for me, linking it to the last question, when I'm training their software, the only thing I'm training is, is efficiency. I'm trying to get them new patterns or new degrees of variability within the innate skill or innate, innate movement patterns that they already demonstrate. So, and I know this is going to be controversial, but like Bosch-like. Like there's some Bosch-esque stuff. I know it's controversial, <laughs> but there's some stuff that I take away from that. Like I like the aqua bags. I like the aqua balls. I like some of these things that are going to challenge their software through rather it's low velocity to high velocity, but it's not the output of sprinting. It's not the output of some of these other things. And that I can microdose that multiple times a day, if not every single game day. And so that's where the sports science aspect can come in. And I can see without giving them extra load, how am I getting them more efficiency? Because what they're bringing in is probably already good enough. How can I make that better? And that's what's going to have them more available, more so than, all right, let's just load you up and hope that this tissue adaptation is going to keep you strong. I don't know. I think if I can get their coordination, their GPS system in their body, a little bit more efficient and a little bit better, then it's going to be less resource that they use on the court. So that means probably more recovery. And so then opposed to giving them more load for a tissue adaptation, I think tissue adaptation at this level, it's more, especially, and once again, I'm just talking about high minute players. Like these are the players that are playing 36 plus minutes a night, like very high volume, high intensity. That's that's where I think I get the more bang for buck for those athletes. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Corey. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we have a little chat around low-level plyometrics for basketball athletes, specifically in the NBA. Then we have a little chat around Franz, the Franz Bosch methodology and his use of aquabags and why aquabags have been a bit of a godsend for Corey at the Suns, especially when he's on the road. And a little bit more about machines and Corey's use of machines in the NBA. So hope you enjoy part one. More great stuff coming up in part two. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Fusion Sport. Fusion Sport is the global leader in human performance solutions for elite sport, military and workplace health. Their annual Human Performance Summit has become a must-attend event for anyone interested in performance analytics and research. The North American Summit will take place on November 5th and 6th at the state-of-the-art UFC Performance Institute in Las Vegas, Nevada, which I have actually been to and is an incredible facility. So with the attendance capped at 250 people, the summit provides a unique and intimate forum for live discussion and collaboration between human performance professionals across sport, military and public safety. So this year marks the first online tickets that are available, allowing attendees worldwide to experience the event virtually, which is an incredible offering from the guys at Fusion Sport. So to learn more and purchase tickets to Fusion's North American Human Performance Summit, please visit humanperformancesummit.com and use the code SPORTSMITH10 for a 10% discount. And this episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave. Omega Wave is the only non-invasive at-rest technology on the market 
that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. Using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position. This data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement takes only four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sports, military and law enforcement organizations. Learn more about Omega Wave by visiting their website, omegawave.com and their social media channels. And this episode is also sponsored by Output Sports. Output Sports is a Swiss army knife for optimizing off-field performance. Output Sports have developed a one-stop portable tool for comprehensive, valid and reliable athlete assessment. For the first time ever, you can assess metrics such as jump height, barbell velocity, Nordics and speed and agility, all with a single wearable sensor. Output brings unparalleled efficiency to athlete testing to allow sports organizations, performance centers, teams, and athletes to make data-driven decisions. The technology has originated from eight years of research and co-developed with over 40 sporting partners across the globe. You can learn more about Output on OutputSports.com or follow them on social media at OutputSports where you can schedule a demo. And now back to the interview with Corey. So when it comes to efficiency and talking about sports science, allowing you to understand the cost of -hmm. what you do, how can sports science help you understand the impact that you're having on efficiency? Right. I mean, for me, it's a great story that I look at. I I won't say the player, but I'll tell you the situation. Mm. Situation was COVID hits. Um, and then, boom, we're in the bubble. Go into the bubble, and we have second spectrum, and we have all this speed data that's collected via video cameras and all this. And it's 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 really cool. Like we get reports, and they're sent to us from the league, and it's like, oh wow. And then we're in the bubble, and one of our higher player or higher minute players uh, is creating an absurd amount of high intensity sprinting, an absurd like more than he's ever done. And then we get a call. It's like, oh, this is a red flag. Like, he, you, yeah, you guys got to manage him. And then when you talk to him, he's like, no, nah, this is the best I've ever felt. Mm-hmm. And it's like, huh, Wait, what, what happened? Oh, <laughs> no, he was more prepared. We were only playing eight games. It's like a football season. Imagine only playing 16 NBA games. Imagine, like. Man, I think they would be crazy outputs. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Or there was like more timeouts or there's more stoppage in play because they have the availability or they have the resources to have those outputs. So that's where I was looking at that. I was like, man, what sports science just told me right there is they told me that I had to change a tactical thing and I needed to go tell that to a coach saying that he's in danger because he's creating more high intensity. And it's like, no, he was prepared. We had two months to basically train off season to get high end sprinting for the first time in this particular individual's career. So when they were doing that, they had the capacity to do it. And that's where I'm like, that's where I go back to, yeah, sports science, nowhere, Mm -hmm. you know, but sports science can be everywhere as far as I would love to see more on the end of, for instance, our tendon health and tendon protocols, right? I can look at reactive strength indexes through, you know, triaxial force plates. Like there's some things that I really want to tamper with because when I think about, and once again, this is all theory. So this is something that hopefully it grasps to the, to the listeners, but everything that we do from a testing standpoint is in the, is vertical displacement via force plates. Mm-hmm. And, but yet that's what we train everything off of, but injuries happen in vertical ve- or horizontal vectors. Like, I'm sorry, but it's change of direction is when people blow their stuff out. Like mm-hmm. when people land in a vertical vector, and roll an ankle, okay, sure. 
But when these are blown out and all that, it's because it's horizontal vectors that are happening. And it's a combination of a vertical vector into a horizontal vector or a horizontal vector into a vertical vector. But yet we're taking all this information from like very sagely based things and just assuming this is how we should train athletes and manage or monitor them. I, that's where I disagree because there's so much skill into that. And so are you truly getting the outputs to make the inferences that you think you're making via testing? I, I don't know. You know, I question that. Like there's times where it was thought that doing game day jumping is a good idea. Now I look back and now after seeing it, I'm like, was that the best thing to do? Because imagine being told, you know, 20 minutes before a game that your your jump's not good today. <laughs> yeah, not what you want to know. You know what I'm saying? And then <laughs> yeah. how do you hide that information regardless? And then do you think there's a lot of intent behind that jump if you're not sharing that information? They're mm-hmm. just going in, jumping in, and leaving? It's like <clears throat> then it just becomes, a, I don't know. Like I, I question a lot of things, and that's where I'm, I think, until we get to the point where it's truly coming from the court, I don't know much how, how much uh, effect we can have because the controlled settings are, are not as controlled as you think. So false plays? Yeah. Where did they what, – what plays did they have at the Suns, given what you just said? Uh, well, once again, this is going to be more theory um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's very anecdotal at this point. Like, it's nothing that's hard and concrete. What I'll say is our goal is to have force plates involved in training only. So this is going to be in contrast to whatever the lifts that we are accomplishing that day. And the goal is to use these triaxial force plates to complement the lift that we're doing. Thus, it will complement the practice that we are doing that day. So here's just a really rough example. Say uh, we're doing a squat. Obviously, I'm focusing on vertical vectors. So then I can go, oh, I'm going to do a counter movement jump. Cool. But what if I want to work and monitor horizontal vectors? Well, maybe I'm going to do a more specific lift that is actually going to get me at those angles where I'm actually creating that force. For example, a landmine split squat when you're leaning into it at a 45 degree angle. Once again, like this is all just theory and anecdotal. No one's really dived into this. At least I don't think so. But these are things that I'm like, I'd want to see those effects and then see an ice skater jump in and out of a force plate. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal for us, I think, moving forward. And once again, it's all anecdotal. We're, we're not there yet, not even close. I can't go out there and say this is a way of doing it. This is all just theory at this point. But I believe if we can complement the stressors and be able to directly affect the whatever the testing we're doing actually reflects the training we're doing, and the angles that we're doing it at, then I think we can have some cool stuff. But until then, I think we're pretty far off. Okay. Yeah. Just want to touch on the 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 Bosch stuff, given that the look mm. that you gave me when you mentioned it, the look that you gave me when you yeah. mentioned it. It always it always gets that look. It always gets the like sorry yeah. type of thing. But it was it's come up more and more in conversation, as you can imagine. Aquabags, you got Instagram. We'll come on to Instagram. In a, a, a later on uh, when we when we chat, yeah. but if you go on Instagram, you see plenty of people using aqua bags and yeah. using them for every anything and everything. How do you how do you incorporate them, and what's your rationale for? I mean, we've talked about the efficiency side of things, but yeah, how do you incorporate them in the suns? Well, I think the one thing to understand is, and I have a little bit of context is what is the environment for NBA players to train in when they're in season. But one thing that people probably have no idea is that when you're traveling on the road, it's actually the worst training environment. Like you don't know what you're getting. And then the best thing that you're getting is power blocks, some bands or whatever you bring with you. Well, we fly on, you know, obviously we have nice planes that we fly on, but you're still limited to what you can bring. Like you're not bringing a whole weight room with you. So these are the best athletes in the world and they have access to some of the most mediocre equipment at best when we're traveling for half of the season or half of the year, which in that case, it's four months. So what can you bring? And that's where you have to be a product of the environment that you're trying to create. And our environment is crappy equipment, and crappy, uh, crappy availability. Thus, I can't bring load. So how can I get load? Well, I can fill up a bag of water. 
at the arena and that gives me load. So now I at least can carry load with me or I'm just limited to dumbbells and pow- or like little power blocks that hopefully go up to 60 pounds. So that's where re- the origination of, oh, I can carry that with me. And so that's where I think a lot of the things that I used to stereotype about the NBA was like, oh, that's probably where it came from more than anything. It's because you can't travel with a lot. So then thus the aqua bag. Now, how I use the aqua bag is I have super heavy ones that at least let me get some load on the guys to do more of our isometrics. And then for that, then for sure, we can challenge the isometric by adding perturbations to it. So thus we can add some arm movements that allow the water to shift left and right thus neuromuscularly preparing them. So when I use the water bags, it's generally in preparation for sport. So it's always pre. Um, And then that's where we started getting a little bit more into the lighter and adding more velocity. So I have ramps, I have step-up boxes, I have all sorts of things that allow us to do basically like single leg RDL into a clean, into a step-up. So pretty simple, we go from from a load, ISO, challenge that ISO via perturbations, then we add locomotion with lighter, challenge locomotion through speed, and then add complexity to the movement. So then it's one step into two, right? Or I'm changing from a vertical vector into a horizontal vector, uh, or vice versa, a horizontal vector into a vertical vector, and then stabilize. So that's how I use it, and that's the efficiency, the software. Because no matter how good of an athlete you are, it's still tough. Like it's still <laughs> challenging with a water bag, no matter what you're doing. And that's where you use water balls, water bags, things that can change how you actually load it and how the feel of it. But yeah, that's how, that's how we use the water bags as far as, and it's really came from just being on the road more than anything and then creating efficiency through movement. One thing I wanted to ask you, and it was about the, the comment that you made about plyometrics. Obviously these guys are jumping hundreds, hundreds of times a day, times a week, times a month. Do you do any low-level plyometrics that run through your program, or is it just zero jumping at all when you're in, in in charge of these guys? Right. So that that's the hard question to answer because it's like, who are we talking about? Are we talking about one through five? Are we talking yeah, okay. about six through ten? You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's where uh, everything exists. It's just to what dosage do they exist? Mm-hmm. And so that's where, for me, once again, going back into the idea of how we're going to add quote unquote sports science, which I hate that we think that force plates equals force or equals sports science, but you know, what yeah, I'm doing I know, I know. is okay. Objectively measuring, right. Um, is for certain athletes, their contrast or their demand in their training should actually reflect what they're missing. So if you're a high minute player, then you're probably missing just more controlled, zero velocity, load, tendon health, etc. If you are a extremely low minute player, you're missing plyometrics. Like you're missing games, right? You're missing the play. So don't get me wrong. We get that through short-sighted games, which that's a whole nother conversation. But there's, if I can still develop you, then we can go into some higher level plyometrics because you're still not experiencing the frequency or the consistency of high intensity like you are from the higher minute players. So that's where they do exist 100%. It's just from the scale of your super high minute players, probably not seeing too many depth depth box jumps, you know what I'm saying, to or shock training to your 14s and 15, you know, players that are your new drafts or your, you know, your two-way players who are experiencing that because, you know, it's training white to to black zones. And when they live in the gray, well, you still need to touch on white and black. It's just how much do you touch in white and black? Mm-hmm. Just moving on a bit to another topic which is which is recovery obviously a big part of what you do especially that like you say the one to five guys how are you periodizing that especially with i mean this is robin's quote so tell me if he's if he's wrong and therefore i'm wrong 3.6 games a week 3.6 games a week the last season okay that's wild so how are you periodizing recovery what does what does that recovery look like as when we spoke you mentioned about resistance training as as a recovery modality yeah which would be interesting to dive into as well for sure, yeah. So if you look at 3.6 games a week, people go, oh, that's a lot of games. And then you add East Coast travel. Mm. And then you add – so like, it's so much more than just 3.6 games because those are 3.6 games. And most of the time they're taken in different cities. Like that's the part that a lot of people – like, I, I, when you add that layer, then you have a better understanding of this. Oh, wow, this is greater than just playing the volumes of games in, in a short amount of period of time. Um, it's all the other allostatic stress that goes with it. 
So what I would say as far as um, how do we periodize it, once again, I can't speak for everyone, right? I can only speak in generalities, but the best way to do it is to be able to, uh, and this is something that I took from Stanford was in the off season, I would ask them, well, what's your favorite modality? Or what's your favorite way of recovering? Nine times out of 10, they're going to say massage, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing that everybody loves, right? And yeah, it has a good effect. Cold water immersion, not a lot of people are for, but it has an extreme effect. Uh, the goal is the times of the year that you need the most, we need to push it to the times where you actually need the most so mm-hmm. that it has its most maximum effectiveness. So for example, if we're in preseason and I'm shuttling these guys with these modalities, then when we need it the most, when we're playing 3.6 games in a week and we're traveling East Coast to West Coast and West Coast to East Coast, well, those are the times that we need to actually use it. So it's almost like a, a resource, if you will. So the most potent resources should be dictated based off of the schedule when there's the most extreme stressors and then vice versa, get them the ones that they don't necessarily like the most at the times where they don't really need it the most. So like foam rolling techniques, stretching, whatever. Uh, but this is a different animal. Like we have a large staff and we have, uh, and these guys have resources beyond all means. I mean, these guys could have massage therapists living with them if they <laughs> wanted, you know? So, you know, this, these are the things that you got to take in consideration, but as far as like a general concept, and I hope, I hope this appeals to listeners, but as a general concept, the things that are the most effective for that athlete, perceptually, they know, um, those are the ones that you need to restrict for the times that are actually needed, for the times where they're actually experiencing those higher, higher stresses. Do the players understand that? They're just not thinking, I like that's it, so let's goal. do it all the time? Okay. Right, and that's the thing. What it turns into, it's like, well, I like massage, and massage feels good, so shouldn't mm-hmm. I just get massage all the time? Don't get me wrong. Like, yes. Like, when, I mean, at the end of the day, I can't tell certain guys no, but the goal is education, right? The goal is and, and to introduce newer things or to introduce other things, you know, and then just prioritize and have infographs and things that help help on the education platform so they're seeing it in different areas. But it's hard to specifically like go, yeah, this is what, how we do it. These are the certain guys that do it. Because, you know, it's across the board. It, it is. Um, Stanford, you know what I mean? Like UAB, Santa Clara, you know, those colleges I was at. Oh, yeah, I could dictate all that. And I did. And it was fun. But here it's a little bit different because there's a lot more things at play. But yeah, ideally, yeah, that's that's kind of how it goes. And as far as the resistance training aspect, this is the one that actually became the most popular, which I thought was weird. But guys, like they loved one by twenty. Okay. And that's how we used it as I used it as a recovery tool. I used one by twenty, and it just made sense in my head. It's like I just need blood flow, and how am I going to get it? Machines. <laughs> and so I used one by twenty. And the other end of the spectrum is lower loads, just higher volume. And so just creating basically the BFR sensation, but they're doing it through specific machines. I have hip adductor machines or four-way hip machines, like, you know, 45 degree back extensions, back extensions. Um, what else do we have? Um, obviously our squatting apparatuses. I got isokinetic stuff too that we uh, use. Um, but yeah, it's, it's CD calf raise, tibialis raise, like hitting all those local tissues through isolated and global patterns, but one by 20 just to get that, just to get blood flow. And then you just add a tenth of a pound weight every time. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, if that's your recovery modality, by the end of a, you know, last year, a 72 game season, that's actually pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Once you get there and the next thing, you know, like if you're strong as your modality, then dang. Yeah, you've done something pretty good then. You create a pretty resilient, durable human being, at least I hope. So during that recovery session that involves this one by twenty, how many exercises would you would you normally prescribe for these guys? You ten to twelve. Ten okay. to twelve. Yeah. So it's like some, some suspension training too, some TRX stuff. It's nothing too crazy, right? But it's full range of motion. Uh, most of it is not neuromuscularly demanding at all because it's machine based. And by the time the guys leave, they actually feel better than when they came in. And I didn't even think about using one by 20 that way until someone said that during the summer when we used it in the middle of the week. And they're like, man, I feel great. I was like, wait, no, I don't want – oh, dang, <laughs> you, you, you probably should actually, yeah. Never thought of it that way. But it was because we attack, we use the one by 20 to attack the tissues and attack the areas that we don't get through traditional training. 
And that's what I like the most is like, yeah, we, the hip adductor machine, who would have thought (laughs) (laughs) money shot. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Cool. Well, there's one thing I'm I'm not going to, well, I'm going to apologize for asking about it because it's something that interests me because you're kind of a big deal on Instagram, Corey. Mm, Jesus. No. Let's, can we, I mean, is that all right to have a little chat yeah, about that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally sweet. Fine, totally is fine. it because uh, this is this is part of the industry now? Like it's uh, it's it's becoming a huge part. Um, is it is it something that you're you particularly sought out to create, or is that something that's just happened pretty organically? It was very organic because okay. I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, but it started when I was 23 years old at Santa Clara University. And, um, I was doing like form check, right? So I was like filming okay. a guy and just being like, look, man, this is the thing I'm telling you about this deadlift that you're doing wrong. And then he ended up like smoking a PR and I showed it to him. He's like, Hey, like, can you send that to me? Sure. Send it to him. And then he, I think, yeah, that's when Facebook was a thing. No way he mm-hmm. uses Facebook anymore, but you know, he posted on Facebook and then his mom calls me. And she's like, oh, my God, it was so good seeing him do something other than basketball. Class. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. And then the coaches came downstairs, and they're like, yo, like, this is what you guys do down here? I'm like, yeah, you probably should have known about this. <laughs> but, okay, yeah, cool. Like, we try to get strong down here. And I go, oh, that's great for recruiting. Oh, didn't even think of it that way. And then that's how it snowballed. And it, that, it came from the most humble place where I was trying to help a kid. And then it turned out to be in this thing that I don't even know what it is even more. But mm-hmm. ever since I went to the Suns, I kind of like backed off on it. Like it hasn't been too crazy. Uh, I was way more active during my Stanford UAB days. Um, I guess that's when I was exploiting athletes because I would just <laughs> demonstrate them. I would just, mm-hmm. and they were cool with it. And yeah. to, to them, as soon as that thing went up, all of a sudden intensities went up. And all of a sudden, yeah. more weight on the bar, and guys <laughs> got a little bit more into it, and there's yeah. a little bit more high fives. And I'm like, oh, this is a this is a training tool for me. You yeah. know, this is this is this is creating in- intensity. And so, yeah, and then it's kind of spiraled out of the way. And I know it's this weird double edged sword where it's you want to you know further yourself, or you want to you know, put yourself into a position where you can have opportunities. Mm-hmm. But then you have the other camp where it's like, you, you sell out. Like, oh, you're doing it, you know, like it's, it's selfish. It's for, and it's like, I look at it, I go, yeah, it's like, at the end of the day, if I get fired, who's looking out for me? Mm-hmm. Like, you think they're looking out for me? No, mm-hmm. they, they ain't putting stuff. Like, so if I'm not putting myself in a position to create more opportunities for myself, then that's, then what are you doing as a mm-hmm. professional? Like, I think that's what we all should be doing. Yeah. You all should be creating your own brand or creating whatever you think is best. And that's a beautiful thing about it. It should be your niche. Mm-hmm. Because I think what the trouble is now is people just try to copy what yeah, they think 100%. is successful. Yeah, yeah. And that's why you keep seeing the same stuff over and over again. And for me, that's why it's like, I still use an iPhone. I don't use a bunch of infographs. <laughs> like, I just, because mm-hmm. my stuff is like, it's just, oh, this is what I'm thinking. This is a theory. This is. I have no idea if it works or not, but here, just out there. And for me, it became a great education tool because smarter and smarter people and people I respect start engaging with me. Because mm-hmm. when I was at 23, I was in a basement by myself and I had, I mean, I was getting paid nothing. And so you think I had money for continuing education? No. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't even leave the city I was in because I couldn't afford the gas to get out of town. So, but that was a place where I could, I could have these conversations. And if I put out, decent stuff then i would receive feedback and now i'm now yeah. i now i get to talk to that guy like now i oh you want to exchange numbers so oh my god i get to call you whenever <laughs> wow this is so cool and it all and it, that's how it turned into and i think that's where people people look at it in the wrong way man because they don't know how to do it and they get a little intimidated by it and because of that they're like Yo, you shouldn't do that. Mm. Hey, man, at the end of the day, it's for you or it's not for you. And if you're in for creating opportunities for yourself, then go for it. But if you ain't, then eh, sorry about it. Yeah. So is the is the goal for you to create your personal brand so you've got something that is yours and only yours, no matter what happens with what career-wise, like nine-to-five-wise? Is that the, yeah, is that I mean, the whole thing? I mean, yeah, I think I think yeah. my brand or whatever is associated with me, I can't even call it a brand. I don't even know what to call it. But it's associated with me because I was 100% myself. Yeah. 
Like I didn't, I didn't try to do it some other way. I didn't try to copy exercises and claim them as my own. I didn't, I didn't do any of that. I, I just went like, this is what I'm thinking. And so because I just put myself out and was very vulnerable, I got a lot of stuff back. And then next thing you know, I got companies that reach out and they go, yo, like we'll send you this if you, and I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know how to handle all this. Like it's a business. Like yeah. this is why people do it now. I get it. Yeah. But it, it opened up doors and opportunities, obviously, to talk to guys like you and hopefully, hopefully create something cool. But, you know, it, I don't even Doing know. Doing a good job. Like, Doing a great job. I don't even, I'll be honest, I have no idea because, <laughs> man, the comment section, you just got to stop reading it because, yeah. man, there's it's some weird. vultures out there, bro. <laughs> gets a little bit weird. Yeah, it gets yeah. weird quick. Oh, the yeah. DMs get really weird. Oh, yeah. man. They, they oh. get really weird. But, you know, at the same time, it's hilarious. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So we're just moving that on to where people can find you on Instagram, Twitter yeah, as well, of course. Yeah, it's Sless String. So it's like the beginning of my first, or my last name. It's S-C-H-L-E-S Strength. Once again, S-C-H-L-E-S Strength. And that's where you'll find me probably sharing stories about steaks, shoes, <laughs> um, whatever my fiance is into, and then occasionally some training. The do- Have you got a dog? Oh, two dogs, two yes, really stupid thought, yeah. dogs. Yeah, <laughs> I have really dumb dogs. Like they're 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 cute, but they're so stupid. But they're awesome. <laughs> they're awesome though. Well, Corey, thank you very much. Thank you so much for giving me time. I do, I really do appreciate it and fitting me into a very busy schedule in the yeah. no time off NBA schedule. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do appreciate it. Thanks for being so open and uh, and sharing what you guys do at the Suns and obviously everything else that goes around it. Yeah, appreciate your time and thank you for letting me come on your platform. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to Corey for giving up his time and finding a little bit of time in his schedule just before Summer League in Vegas starts for him over in the US. Also, big thanks to today's sponsors of this episode, Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Fusion Sport, Omega Wave and Output Sports. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I really, really do appreciate all their support. And last but not least, don't forget to press subscribe on your chosen podcast player, and I will chat to you next week. <laughs>